Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada continues to work with partners and allies to impose sanctions on Russia. The thing that has really um, had an impact that I think we can all conclude surprised Vladimir Putin uh, was that we are so united, we are so firm. There are more calls for Canada to waive visa requirements immediately for Ukrainians seeking refuge. This is something impacting Ukrainian Canadians, it's impacting Canadians, it's impacting the world, and we have to do our part to support people in this crisis. And Michael Chong may be considering a bid for the Conservative leadership. I haven't ruled it out yet, uh, but right now I'm focused on two things, focused on my role here as Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs, and secondly, focused on thinking about in the coming weeks what I can do to help my party and my country. It's Thursday, March the 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So Canada continues to announce every day uh, that it's increasing sanctions uh, on Russia, putting new measures in place to support people who are leaving Ukraine uh, to, uh, to look for safer places to be during this crisis. Uh, and I guess as Canada and other countries increase the pressure on Vladimir Putin and Russia, I think one of the key questions is whether any of this is working, whether it's effectively uh, working to discourage Putin from what he's doing. Well, I mean, it's impossible to know what is in Putin's head because there's only one person who knows that, and it's him. He seems to be completely isolated uh, inside Russia. If you look at the pictures of him sitting with his closest advisors that are at the other end of the room. So it's it's impossible to know whether it's impacting him. I think we can say with confidence it is impacting the Russian economy. And uh, one would imagine is building up resentment and opposition within Russia. I mean, while he is a, uh, a tyrant, undoubtedly a tyrant, and the man who has instigated this invasion, he doesn't operate entirely within, uh, with complete impunity in Russia. I mean, there are elections, there are uh, factions within the Kremlin, and they must be worried by what's happening to the, to the Russian economy. I mean, we're seeing already, for example, that Russian oil producers are not able to sell their crude, even at a massive discount. We know that Visa and MasterCard are not operating, that Russians are leaving the country, that... Uh, in, in many other ways, that the, the huge reserves of foreign currency that he built up in the central bank, he can't uh, liquid, liquidate, liquidate those assets because uh, the West has banned transactions with the central bank. All of this must be building pressure within Russia. I think the question is whether the, the pressure builds quickly enough before the... the um, the situation on the ground is lost as far as Ukraine is concerned. Right. And and as as the the Russian invasion continues, uh, what's your sense of, of the appetite of Western leaders to, to do more than just sanctions? Well, I think it's been explicitly ruled out, the idea of a, of a no-fly zone, which would, would necessarily entail combat in the air and um, attacking... Russian uh, landing strips in Russia, uh, attacking air defense facilities. I mean, that is a, you know, NATO is a defensive 
organisation. This this would be an offensive move, a huge escalation, and the White House and uh, Ottawa have ruled this out. I just I think it's it would be uh, inconceivable. Just as inconceivable, I think, is that we would send uh, ground forces into Ukraine. Um, I mean, frankly, I think that Putin probably sees what we're doing already as an act of war. I mean, he may escalate just on the basis that we're supplying lethal equipment to the to the Ukrainians, you know, which, frankly, is designed to kill more Russians. So, I think that uh, we are probably doing all we can as, on the on the kinetic front. We are now taking uh, action against the oligarchs who are his supporters and backers. Uh, you know, we're seeing we're seeing uh, super yachts being. Uh, confiscated and, and seized um, assets elsewhere. Chelsea Football Club is now being put up for sale by uh, Abramovich in London. You know, these are events that were almost unthinkable just over a week ago. And so I think the pressure is building. Militarily, I don't see what else we can do, but I do think we should be thinking seriously about uh, our own defence capabilities. I mean, there's a CBC report this morning from Murray Brewster, which says 65% of our equipment, of the Army's equipment and vehicles, are not serviceable, and 60% of our aircraft. I mean, that is unacceptable. And the government, has, which has been warned about this for years and years and years, even going back to the Conservative government, have done very little about it. So yeah. I think right now we need to expedite you know, our northern defence system, uh, expedite the purchase of new jets, Etc. I mean, the, the jets we have, we cannot put up against the Russian jets because they're too old. That's a great point. The other discussion that's going on, and and I think the the your comments about the military are are relevant to this discussion, is whether this this moment signals a, a change in in the world order. Is it are are the rules being rewritten, or or is is the breaking of rules here effectively uh, leading to? a new dynamic in the world compared to what we've been experiencing now for decades. Well, that's what Putin is trying to do. He's, try, he's making the argument that borders have changed throughout history and therefore uh, great powers can exercise that power and seize what they want. Happily, there is pushback to that. And we saw it in the UN yesterday where 75% of the countries, of the 193 UN countries, voted to censure Russia's move and condemn what Putin is doing. You know, when he invaded Crimea in 2014, that number was 50, 51%. Uh, At that time, there were a lot of abstentions and a lot of countries that were absent. 11 countries voted with Putin. Yesterday, only four other countries voted with him. And they were, you know, a a cavalcade of dictators and uh, tyrants from Syria to Belarus to Eritrea. You know, Countries that were that abstained last time, including countries like Brazil, which are studiously neutral. We've seen Switzerland come out. A whole bunch of countries voted to censure um, Putin. And even countries like Venezuela that he's helping to prop up did not vote with him. So, you know, the diplomatic pressure is building. They, those countries are voting to preserve the existing world order, which is based on the rules-based system that might is not right, and that territorial integrity should be defended. I mean, I think what we have seen is that that uh, existing alliances, the the, the, the NATO alliance, uh, the European Union countries are 
sticking up for the existing system rather than trying to overturn it. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, we'll continue to follow the events there. Uh, closer to home, John, the Conservatives have set the rules for their leadership race. The new leader will be chosen on September the 10th. Um, and as as those decisions were being made over the past few days, there are there are other names circulating. We've already talked about John Shadep, uh, who's been meeting with MPs in Ottawa this week. And Michael Chong is not ruling out a leadership bid as well. So what's your sense of, of what these rules mean for the race and how things could play out from here? Well, the September 10th deadline, I think, is a compromise. I think uh, Pierre Poiliev, who's the, the front runner, his campaign wanted a very early leadership race because he's the front runner. They would happily have seen it by Canada Day. So I think that this is a compromise to allow other candidates some time to, to build memberships and support within caucus. Having said that, June 3rd is, I think, the cutoff date. So that's, what, three months away? That doesn't give contenders much time to, to catch up with Poiliev. Um, Chong... I think more's the pity because I think he's a very uh, good candidate, but uh, I don't see him running. I think he he said to people, "Well, I'm only going to run if I think I can win. I'm not going to make up the numbers." And it's hard to see a route to victory for him, particularly given the fact that the last time he ran, he, he backed a carbon tax, and uh, particularly in the in the current circumstances where gas prices are going crazy, I think any candidate who backs a carbon tax is going to have a hard ride in this. Con- with a Conservative membership. Patrick Brown, who was a former MP, a leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservatives, I think he will run. He looks like uh, he, he backed a carbon tax when he was in Ontario. It's interesting to see what he does this time. I think there will be a social Conservative candidate, probably Leslie Lewis. And I think it's good that there's a, that there's a woman in the race. Ironically, Polling by um, Abacus Data this morning suggests that a female candidate would be likely to to win more votes than a male candidate, or certainly would be an attractive proposition. Hmm. But but it doesn't look like there's a, uh, a female candidate who could could win it at this stage. So yeah, it's all to play for. But at the moment, Poiliev looks like the prohibitive favourite. Um, maybe the reason he didn't want a longer race is that that. Uh, he is likely to alienate people in the, in, the, in, the, in the, if there's more time. He came out this week and talked, started talking about the weak response in Europe, how European countries have cowered before the thug uh, Putin. I think he should come under some scrutiny and people should ask him, well, what exactly would you do? I mean, Germany has just essentially doubled its defence budget and cut off most of its, a third of its energy supplies. I don't know what more he expects countries like Germany to do. So I think it, it's healthy for this party if they're going to elect a potential prime minister. I mean, it, any conservative leader is a potential prime minister because this government has been in power now for seven years. And at some point, people get, just get fed up with it and look at the yeah. guy who's standing for the Conservative Party and vote him in. So the Conservative Party needs to take a long look at itself and decide whether Pierre Poiliev is prime ministerial material. All right. We'll see how things unfold uh, with that in the days to come. John, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. This is not the behavior of a superpower. This is the last gasp of a failing kleptocracy. 
Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Charles Burton argues it's time to wake up and take megalomaniacs seriously. Burton writes, Chinese leader Xi Jinping will be closely watching Vladimir Putin's attempt to vanquish Ukrainian nationalism for lessons on how to subjugate Taiwan. But Xi's speeches, similar to Putin's, look beyond Taiwan, descending into resentful rhetoric over the West's suppression of China's national rejuvenation. We need to work with our allies to stand up collectively to sanction China's flouting of the international rules-based order in trade and diplomacy. We must do all we can to support the transition to democratic regimes in Russia and China so they can become responsible members in the community of nations. In the National Post, Tasha Carradine argues Canada needs the ability to defend itself in an increasingly uncertain world. Carradine writes, We are witnessing a chilling reality. War is not a thing of the past. And unless you have the means to fight it, you depend on the good graces and strategic calculations of other nation-states. A strong military is not a luxury. It is a necessity. And Canada needs to up its game. The lesson from Ukraine is clear. Canada needs to rebuild its military to be able to defend our nation from current and potential threats. All that is missing is the political will. In the National Observer, Bruce Anderson considers what kind of leader the federal conservatives need if they want to win. Anderson writes, Conservatives can build a bigger coalition by focusing on conservative economic ideas. They face more risk than reward if they choose a leader who seems tempted by Christian faith-based issues such as conversion therapy, or one who is not interested in serious climate change policy. It is clear they must appear more like a party that would offer a secular government and an unqualified commitment to equal rights for all, as well as credible climate policy, especially if they are going to promote more oil and gas development. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will make an announcement and hold a news conference with the Minister of International Trade, Mary Ng. Indigenous Services Minister, Patty Haidu, and government officials will hold a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19 in Indigenous communities. And Minister of Families, Karina Gould, will make an announcement about support for families in the Northwest Territories. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March the 3rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.